Our Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would break us and melt us and mold us and fill us. This is our only hope, Lord. This morning we bring all the idols that we have made into the presence of the God who has made us. And we recognize again they do not compare. Nothing compares, Lord, to the grace we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray today, Lord, that you would be all, that you would be our all in all. That once again, Lord, we would resolve to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so that we might trust you, Lord, to add everything in this world that we need. Lord, we love you. Because you first loved us, we love you. And may your love constrain us, we pray, to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God is good all the time. Oh, it's good to worship with you today and to share in this beautiful music. I wonder, are you following me as I follow Christ? I told you a few weeks ago, if I'm not following Christ, please do not follow me. But if I'm following Christ, I would ask you to follow me. And just as a way of sort of discerning this morning, I wonder, those of you who were with me on the bus this morning as I was riding, are you here? Would you just kind of wave at me if you were with me on the bus? I'm so glad to see you. It's always unnerving to me to ride on the bus here with a great host of people. And then when the first bus stop comes, I get off and everybody stays on. And I just wonder, are they just going on a bus ride or are they, are they also coming here? So it's good, it's good to come to church and to work. I'm fascinated with this idea of following, being on a mission and following Christ. And I wonder whom will we follow? Melanie showed me a, a whimsical uh, clip this week um, about a man who was trying to herd up his cattle in an innovative kind of way. He was trying to get them to follow. I think we have this clip this morning. Just take a look at this and humor me this morning. It's a remote control car. See, every leader aspires to have followers like that who just follow right, right after them. I wonder whom do you follow? Maybe you follow somebody on Twitter. Is it an entertainer or an athlete or a politician? We've been thinking about following Jesus, what Bonhoeffer called Nachfolgen, to follow after 
Be sure of this, that the one you follow knows where he is going. Just this week, I was in a sister church's building with a friend who had just lost his wife. We had just shared in a service of worship honoring the Lord who gave his wife to us. And as we were walking along, I had no idea where we were going. And so I leaned over to my friend Bob and I said, Bob, where is the fellowship hall? Where are we going? And one of his family members leaned over my shoulder and said, don't worry, Bob knows where he's going. I think he was born in this place. And my friend looked at him and said, no, I wasn't born in this place, but I was reborn in this place. Where were you reborn? Where did you become an apprentice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you open your Bibles with me today again to Luke chapter 9? We've been here for a few weeks and I want to pick up a few verses in Luke chapter 14 as well as we think about being on a mission, as we think about the Savior's apprentice, Luke 9 verses 22 and 23. Let's stand together as we read God's word. It's after Jesus has asked the disciples, whom do you say I am? And Peter has answered the Christ of God. Then Jesus says in verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Then in chapter 14, just a few pages over, Jesus has set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, Luke 9, verse 51, and in chapter 14, verse 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Thank you. You may be seated. The sign on the front of the Jesus bus read Calvary. Everybody who was going with Jesus knew by this time where they were going. Jesus had this inner group of disciples whom he had been mentoring and teaching and they had become his apprentices, but always there was this larger herd of people, a, a great crowd, a great multitude, they're sometimes called, and they were there as well, along for the ride, if you will, and it intrigues us, doesn't it, that Jesus periodically will stop and look at the big crowd and say, do you understand where we're going? We're not headed to the Jerusalem Hilton. This is not a time where I'm going to usher in some new political reign of the world. I'm headed to the cross. It was as if Jesus said, all I have to offer to this world that I created is the cross. 
And so Jesus walked steadfastly to Jerusalem and there would come not many weeks later a moment when Jesus would literally be carrying the patibulum, the crossbeam of the cross, walking out of the city and he was so exhausted that he could carry it no more. And you would think based on these verses that there would be no less than 12 volunteers who would raise their hand and say, we were ready for this moment We will now carry the cross for the Savior. But as far as we can tell, they were nowhere to be found. So Luke chapter 23, verse 26 tells us they had to conscript Simon of Cyrene from the crowd so that he might finish carrying the cross for Jesus up the hill so that they might nail Jesus to that cross so his words would be fulfilled. He would be rejected And he would be killed. He would be crucified. And this is the one who said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the call of discipleship. And it occurred to me as I studied this this week and then looked forward into the book of Acts where we are headed, that in fact... This is all the first century church had to offer to the world. A crucified Savior on a crimson cross. That is all they had. And that is all they needed to change the world. And if you ask me how I know they changed the world, I'm looking at the proof this morning. The fact that we are here means that a cross in the, in the first century, all the church had was all they needed to change the world. And I know someone might say, but we have so much more to offer these days. We have great history and architecture and beauty and talents and gifts and resources, but Would I shock you if I said the only thing the church really has to offer to the world is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is still all we have. And believe me when I say it is still all we need to become a follower of Jesus. We said last week we would have to deny ourselves To become a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to take up our crosses and follow him. And I noticed that Jesus' cross was not a metaphor. Jesus' cross was just that. It was a cross made of wood. And when Jesus said, let him take up his cross, nobody in that crowd that day thought Jesus is saying, well, we all have our burdens to bear We all have our difficulties in life. Everybody has his challenges. I've got that trick knee or that that family member who gives me trouble or I've got this burden or my boss doesn't understand me or my neighbor parks his car in front of my house. Jesus was not talking about the things that we typically call our cross to bear. No, Jesus was talking about an instrument of death, And everybody in the crowd knew that the cross was the way that the Romans humiliated their victims. When they found the people they liked the least, the worst rebel, the, the, the most uh, 
the, the most difficult criminal in the world, they would take that person and put them as a placard on a cross to say, this is what will happen to you if you continue to act the way you are acting. Henry Nouwen tells about a family, friends of his in Paraguay, a, a doctor who, who had the audacity to challenge the drug lords in his country and as a punishment, even the local police got involved and they took this doctor's son and they literally tortured him to death. And all the doctor's friends said, this is the moment. We'll use this as the opportunity to make a statement. We'll have a protest march for his funeral. He said, no, we won't do that. But he simply at the funeral, placed his son before the people the same way he had found him, covered in blood, tortured to death, his body torn and burned with cigarettes, and he put that boy on the same mattress where he had found him in the prison cell and said, this is the way, this is the way our country treats those who disagree with the drug lords. And Philip Yancey, reflecting on that event, said in that singular moment, he was showing them the worst of human beings. And then at the same time, the reality of sacrifice. Isn't this what the cross means to us? It shows us the world at its worst, at its rebellious worst, crucifying the very Son of God who came into the world. It also shows us God at his best with great and sacrificial love. This is the cross that Jesus was talking about. So what would our crosses look like? If you and I were to carry a cross, would it be just some burden that we bear, just some challenge that we have in life? No, to say that we would carry our crosses means that we would be willing to die for our faith. G.K. Chesterton defined courage. Maybe you saw that movie Courageous this weekend, that amazing testimony about the way families can be through the grace of God. G.K. Chesterton defined courage as, um, as a strong desire to live coupled with a readiness to die. Maybe that's what it means to carry our crosses. It means that we would be willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. I've been following the story, maybe you have as well, of, of Yusef Nadar Khani, this Iranian pastor, this pastor in his 30s in Iran, this young man who has been told, if you do not recant your confession of faith in Jesus Christ, we will literally kill you. Lest we think this is all metaphor, there are people in our world, we read about them, who are being persecuted for the cause of Christ. There's a pastor in Iran who in order to live must deny Christ, but he refuses to do that. And when I read that this week, I wondered, setting aside all of our bravado, would we die for Christ? Would we, like Bonhoeffer, be willing to literally give up our lives for the sake of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I can only speak for myself and say that I have dedicated a lot of my time and energy to pain and death avoidance. I, I have become good at avoid. Listen, I eat the way I eat. I exercise the way I exercise because I really, really want to live a long life. 
And to hear, to hear Jesus say, take up your cross, be willing to die for me. Every time we share in a funeral service, three of our very finest went to be with the Lord in the last week. And and whenever I write a funeral message, I always, the first line I type is, a celebration of the life of, insert the name, a celebration of the life of Lynn Roloff, a celebration of the life of Carolyn Morris, a celebration of the life of Norma Jaskin. It was on Friday after, after I had thought through and prayed with and loved those families this week that I wondered if I were typing such a ceremony for myself, what would it look like? The, the thought came to me on the basis of an email. Cindy LaForce sang a beautiful song, I Will Follow, this Bruce Greer arrangement. And, and I commended her on that. And, and she reminded me that I had told her, I want you to sing that at my funeral. I hadn't exactly remembered that. But when she said that, I remembered saying that. And then I just typed on a, on a blank sheet on my computer, a celebration of the life of Dwayne Brooks. And I began to put together what that service would look like. And I mailed it out to the friends who would be involved and said to them, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm hoping that you won't need this for many, many years. But it was good for me to come to terms with the reality of my own mortality. To recognize that I must be willing Not only to live for Jesus Christ, but to die for him. A.W. Tozer said, three things you know about the person who has fulfilled what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Here are the three things that you know. A person who's been crucified is facing one direction. A person who has been crucified is not turning back. And a person who has been crucified no longer has any plans of his own. It's hard to imagine a person on a cross worrying about whether or not his football team is going to win and building all of his emotions around that. It's hard to imagine a person on a cross saying, I wonder what the latest sale at Dillard's is. I don't want to miss that. It's hard to imagine a person on a cross saying, if I can just have one more piece of turtle cheesecake, my life will be complete. In truth, to be on the cross is to say, I no longer have any plans of my own. I don't know if you and I would die for Christ if we were given the chance. I would hope that we would. But maybe the real measure of whether or not we would die for him is whether or not we are actually right now in our lives living for him. He places it in the current context, doesn't he, when he says daily. He doesn't say take up your cross annually or, or um, monthly or weekly. Certainly not weekly with an A. But take up your cross daily according to the day. We Christians sometimes lose track of time. We used to look at our watches. I think now we look at our, our cell phones. But I read this week that the average person in the United States only spends nine Nine minutes a day on religious activity. I was hoping we are better than average. I don't know what time it is right now, but I know this. We always know that it's now. 
We always know that it's today. And the Bible says, Paul, to the Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. There is no better moment than this moment for me to live out my faith, um, living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading and give him my all. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give my life, myself to thee. For thou in thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. Oh, Christ, For thee alone. To carry my cross daily means I'm not entitled. I'm not entitled to anything. I don't live my life for myself anymore, but for him who loved me and gave himself up for me. It means life is no longer about me, but about him. I read this week about a young man who worked on the docks. He worked in the heat, the kind of heat that We have finally found some relief from in the last couple of days. Praise God for October and the fall finally coming. It's been a withering, withering summer. This young man worked in that kind of heat on the dock and then one day was given an opportunity to interview for a better position, for a position as a salesman that would put him in an office, not a part-time job as he had, but a full-time job that would enable him to accomplish his vocational dreams, but when they offered him the job and his friend said, congratulations, I heard they gave you the job. He said, no, I'm not going to accept it. And his friend said, why are you not going to accept it? He said, because to take that job, I would have to give up my ministry to the single adults at my church. He said, but wait a minute, that's, that's a volunteer position. Don't you, don't you want a job where you don't have to work in this heat anymore? And he said, no. I couldn't ever give up that ministry of teaching the single adults, so I'll wait for God to provide a job if he wants to that allows me to continue my ministry in the kingdom of God. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? That following him and serving him is more important than even our most important ambition in this life, more important even than any other relationship, even more important than myself, is my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ask me, why would we ever want to make a commitment like that, I would point you again to Christ on the cross, giving is all for us. I found myself watching a movie about a dolphin this weekend with my daughter. We were watching this movie about a dolphin. I won't ruin the movie for you, but the dolphin loses its tail. You already knew that if you've watched the, the previews to it. But, but as I was watching it and this dolphin was about to give up on life, the little boy who rescued the dolphin uh, comes up and when the dolphin hears the boy's voice, the dolphin gains a new will to live. And when he gets in the pool, the dolphin follows him, recognizing his voice. And I remember Jesus saying, my sheep will not follow a stranger. My sheep know the shepherd's voice and they will only follow 
me. When we realize what Jesus did for us on the cross, we will have no difficulty surrendering our own desires and our own ambitions and our own plans because because of Jesus' death on the cross, we no longer have any plans of our own, but his plans have become our plans. And if you forget everything else I said, remember this, these words, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? Now there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me and for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that Jesus Christ is enough for us. Help us, I pray today, Lord, not just to like Jesus, but to become like Jesus, not just to be your admirers, but to be your apprentices. Lord, form your life in us. Let our lives be cruciform. Let them be shaped in the shape of a cross with love for God, with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and love for one another, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. God, create that kind of love in us through the cross, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.